0: Hi, I'm Robin Black, and this is Robin Thinks. And today I want to start in on Love and Respect by Emerson Egricks. And before I even get started on the book, I just want to deal with this, like his overall premise of the book, which is that uh, men need respect and women need love. One of the things that I just right off the bat, one of the things that I find very problematic about this book is anytime you start saying, Men need this and women need this. Okay, you're, in my opinion, you're already running into problems. The What I am very comfortable saying is that men are different from women. Okay, very comfortable saying that. What I am not at all comfortable with is when you start trying to nail down how are men different from women or what needs do women have that men do not need or vice versa. Um, women and men are different but women are also different from women and men are also different from men so we have all these ideas and ideals about women like this and men like that and women like this and men like that but it's just it's not true okay so for instance uh there's there's women that love like hiking and camping and just being outdoors they're they're sort of like rugged outdoorsmen so to speak rugged outdoors women Um, and then you have men that they have absolutely no interest in giving up like a perfectly good bed for a tent or a sleeping bag okay no almost anything that you can look at or point to you'll find things that that's true of women or that's true of some women uh, not all women or it's true of some men but not all men okay so again, I'm a hundred percent comfortable saying that women are different from men. I'm not at all comfortable with starting to like pinpoint or nail down specific ways in which women and men are alike or different because there's always going to be variables. Um, so, so going back to his premise, his idea is that um, m- women need love and men need respect. OK, and he pulls this from literally one verse in the Bible. But my uh, theory is that you always need to be anytime you read like one verse or one kind of snippet of the Bible, you always have to hold it up to the, the whole, the entirety. So in Proverbs 31, a lot of people are uh, familiar with Proverbs 31. It's a very famous uh, chapter. And. A lot of women have been, you know, damaged by Proverbs 31 because the Proverbs 31 woman was held up as being this model to which all women should aspire. And that's not at all what it is or what it should be. If you read the very first verse, it is a mother uh, teaching her son. It's not even written to women. It's a mother teaching her son, who is a king, uh, King Lemuel. There's a lot of uh, controversy over who King Lemuel might actually be. A lot of people think it's Solomon. Um, But whoever King Lemuel is, his mother is teaching him about women. And she says, listen, my son, listen, son of my womb. So it's a mother teaching her son. And she says, a wife of noble character. Who can find? Okay, noble character, not noble birth, noble character. She's talking about the importance of finding a woman of character. And she says, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ship springing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night and provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate okay i don't know about you but when i read this this seems to be um an encouragement of a mother to her son to respect women or to find a respectable Woman. Once again, this isn't talking about a specific woman. This is a mother teaching her son. This is why women deserve your respect because just women on the whole and Especially what you might call like a godly woman, she does all these things. She takes care of her children. She takes care of her husband. Um, her husband is respected, uh, you know, in the city. Um, she she says good things about herself. So it's it's not that she disrespects her husband. Um, she, obviously she respects her husband. It's just that she is also worthy of respect. And this is the this is what I find very 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 problematic about this book, is that it he's literally implying that women do not need respect and men do not need love. Okay. Um, and what I would argue based on the fact that um, Proverbs 31 was written several thousand years ago. What I would take away from that is that what Emerson Egricks has to say is nothing new. It's all he's doing is literally reiterating something that men have felt for thousands of years now right because otherwise why would King Lemuel's mother need to teach him about respecting women if it was already common for them to respect women so in my opinion the only thing that Emerson Egricks is doing is just reinforcing a problematic belief that has existed for thousands of years. Before we even get to the like chapter 1 in his introduction, the very first thing he writes, he says, you remember how the Beatles sang all I need is love? I absolutely disagree with that conclusion. 5 out of 10 marriages are ending today because love is not enough. Okay? Right here, right from the very get go, we're already getting into very dangerous territory because what he's saying is completely contrary to what the Bible says. So he he starts off by using a Beatles song that says all I need is love. And he says, oh, nope, I disagree with that. Okay, if you disagree with the Beatles song, that's great. But the problem is by disagreeing with the Beatles song, by saying love is not enough, you're actually disagreeing with the Bible. Okay, so let's look at what the Bible has to say. Um, In 1 Corinthians, which is uh, often called the love chapter, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love— I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Okay, so while Emerson Egricks might disagree with the Beatles who say all I need is love, there's a degree to which he's right. Because in our culture, we think of love as being an emotion. But that's not what the Bible says. Love is not an emotion. Love is an action. So, if you think of love in secular terms, in the way the world thinks of love, in the way that the Beatles were probably talking about love, which is an emotion, then he's right. Those feelings are going to fade and those feelings aren't going to get you far. But what the Beatles call love and what the Bible calls love are two completely different things and since Emerson Egricks is writing a book that is theoretically founded on biblical principles that's where we need to go to and we need to look at what does the Bible say about love not the Beatles and what the Bible says it says love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres okay that line um it does not dishonor others to me i would say that is love respects That's how I would kind of rephrase that in, in in light of what we're talking about here. So it's not that men don't need respect. Men do need respect. It's that his premise is that women don't need respect. And I completely and utterly disagree with that. In fact, if a man loves a woman the way Jesus loved women, if a man follows the example that Jesus set, then I would argue that respect is inherent in that. And so in his introduction, he kind of starts off immediately with a yellow flag. And we're going to, I'm, I'm going to tell you what he said, and then we're going to talk about why that's a yellow flag. He says, sometimes the glow a couple feels at one of our conferences fades in a few days or weeks, and they can succumb to the same old problems, the crazy cycle. Okay, so we're going to, talk later about um, his crazy cycle but I want to talk about this Um, sometimes the glow a couple feels at one of our conferences fades in a few days or weeks okay unfortunately what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to judge whether or not something is a good thing or a bad thing you know or a right or wrong decision based on sort of like the immediate results and what I would say is that almost invariably and, and I think that by far the vast majority of marriage counselors would tell you this exact same thing. That things will almost always get far worse before they get better. In fact, the first thing that usually happens when you're on the road to recovery or the path to recovery, usually the first thing that happens is everything gets really, 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 really bad. And kind of what's happening there is that Um, everything that you sort of built up to this point that obviously isn't working for you is going to fall apart, okay? So I'm going to be honest here and say that whenever you do something and you immediately have like really good results, I tend to be very suspicious of that. Um, and, And I'm fully admitting that that's just me. So this is kind of a yellow flag for me. When he says that, Sometimes the glow, a couple feels at one of our conferences fades in a few days or weeks. Okay, that's actually pretty common. You know, you go to like any, you go to a retreat, you go to a seminar, you go to something, you get like super inspired and then, you know, you go home and it just, it kind of wears off. Uh, So that's pretty common. But what that tells me is that kind of like raises my alarm bells a little bit. Like I said, it's a yellow flag. It's not really a red flag. But it's kind of like you know how effective is this really long term because a lot of times you can make changes immediately that will have good results but what what's happening is you're doing something that's called kicking the can down the road um here's a perfect example of that sort of like in um like in marriages okay and and this is one of my problems this is one of my concerns about people that like try and follow this guy's advice so let's say that you have a husband and wife and let's say, you know, they haven't really been married that long, maybe a couple of years. Um, but the husband was raised by a mother that literally did everything for him, that had pretty much no expectations of him. He, she did his laundry. She cooked for him. She maybe cleaned his room or didn't expect him to clean his room. He basically did not have to do anything in the way of any kind of like domestic duties, Right. But the truth is, the reality is that if you eat food, you, you know, create dirty dishes. If you um, wear clothing, you create dirty laundry. And what happens is, in too many of these instances, is you get these boys that have mothers that literally do everything for them, and then they go and they get married, and they aren't they genuinely they have absolutely no concept of just how much work it takes to, you know, do their laundry and cook for them and clean up after them. And it just it goes on and on and on. So there's a lot of wives that get really frustrated because they can't seem to get their husband to do anything like any of the domestic responsibilities um vacuuming is work uh mopping is work taking the trash out is work and when you have these boys that are raised by mothers that literally do everything and have no no expectations of them to participate in you know domestic chores they that's what they go into marriage with and his wife actually expects him to participate like as a grown adult now because she's not his mother She expects him to participate in domestic responsibilities. And it's sort of a constant, never ending battle for them, right? So maybe she reads this book, or maybe she goes to a a Christian conference, whatever, and (laughs) she takes what tends to be very common advice from men, which is stop nagging your husband. And she goes, okay, I'm gonna take that advice. I'm just gonna stop nagging him. So she tells him, she says, honey, Um, I'm going to stop nagging, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to stop nagging you about all of, you know, taking care of the house. Okay. This is going to be, this is going to create an immediate positive change. He's going to be ecstatic. Yes. She's not going to nag me anymore. Okay. So he's super happy. So he kind of starts treating her like a queen. Because now she's not going to nag him. So maybe, you know, he takes her out for nice meals or he gives her foot rubs. He does all kinds of things. But guess what he's still not doing? He's still not participating in any of the domestic responsibilities. So you know what's going to happen now? She tried nagging. Nagging didn't get her anywhere. She tried not nagging. Still didn't get her anywhere. She's still doing all of the the domestic work right and what complicates that is now let's say maybe she's pregnant or she's going to have a baby or she has babies or she has you know two or three babies and he still does not do any of the domestic work okay um this is very likely a recipe for divorce because in her mind she's tried everything she can't get through to him he's he, all he's doing is he's creating so much more work for her and he's not even acknowledging that he is creating so much work. So this is where, this is why when the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man that leads unto death. And it's not necessarily uh, physical death. It can also be the death of your relationships, the death of your business. It is very unwise to just, kind of go based on what seems right to you. And what I would argue about this book in general is that this is exactly what Emerson Egricks has done. So my yellow flag here would be when he talks about couples go to these uh, conferences and they have sort of like these immediate breakthroughs and then it all fades within a few weeks. Okay, I'm very suspicious of immediate breakthroughs or immediate changes because I don't I tend to think they don't last. I tend to feel like the things that last the longest are like when things immediately get worse, that for me tends to be a pretty more promising indication that if you if you keep working at it, they're going to get better. And the fact that everything gets worse ironically that in and of itself almost provides like a motivation to keep going to 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 make things better again and usually what happens is you know it takes time it takes a lot of work but things aren't you know things aren't just better they are like overwhelmingly better um the second, here's another red flag for me. He says, I wrote this book out of desperation that turned into inspiration. As a pastor, I counseled married couples and could not solve their problems, okay? That is a huge red flag to me because it is not any therapist's job, right, or responsibility to solve your problems. That is not what therapists do. Therapy is like personal training, okay? if you can hire a personal trainer, but the personal trainer does not do the exercise for you, the personal trainer can encourage you, they can show you what exercises to do, they can talk about um, what kind of benefits you can expect from certain exercises, but they don't actually do the exercise for you. And I think that too often, this is exactly what people, when they go to therapy, this is what they expect. They think that therapy is going to fix them. It's not therapy that fixes you. And and therapy is not doing the work. Um, therapy is about learning the work that needs to be done, but you have to do the work. Um, Kind of the same thing, you know, a lot of people, like, you know, they go to therapy like one hour a week. That's kind of like working with a personal trainer one hour a week. Like, what kind of differences Uh, Do you think it's going to make if you go work out with a personal trainer one hour a week? Now, you can work out with a personal trainer and the personal trainer can kind of set you up on a program. But you you still need to, you know, work every day or or follow whatever their, you know, their advice or their guidelines or their outline is every day. It is not a therapist's job to fix you. And I, I have a lot of concerns that there are a lot of people in therapy and maybe even particularly in in like Christian circles that feel like it's their job to fix you that feel like it's their job to turn you into something they think that you should be and that's a huge red flag for me so the fact that he says here that he could not solve their problems I'm very uncomfortable with that and then he goes on he says the major problem I heard from wise was he doesn't love me wives are made to love want to love and expect love many husbands fail to deliver but as i kept studying scripture and counseling couples i finally saw the other half of the equation husbands weren't saying it much but they were thinking she doesn't respect me husbands are made to be respected want respect and expect respect okay so This is one more example of why deconstruction is so important. Um, Most of us have probably seen on the internet these um, like sometimes memes or pictures where words are backwards or they're chaotic or there's letters missing and you're able to read them, right? Because your brain fills in the blanks and unfortunately this is exactly what happens in books like this there is so much that is being that is unspoken here but what will happen is when you read this your brain will fill it in okay so first off he says uh, women were made and men were made okay made by whom it since it's a Christian book uh, one would assume that most of the people reading it are Christians which means that when someone is made what does that mean another word for that is created and who were we created by we're created by God right so when he says women were made this way and men were made this way what is he saying he's saying God made women to be this way and God made men to be this way okay and if you follow that thought through to its logical conclusion which most people don't stop and do but if you stop and take the time and deconstruct and follow that thought through to its kind of inevitable conclusion what is the conclusion that you reach the conclusion is that it is God's will for men to be this way and for women to be this way right because if they were made to do this or to be this then it was God that made them this way. So if God made them this way, then it is God's will for things to be this way, right? This is something that you will find all throughout Christianity. You'll find it in podcasts. You'll find it in sermons. You'll find it in books. It's always these unspoken things that this is not my opinion, This is literally God's will, okay? But let's break it down even further because there's even more here that is destructive and detrimental if you don't unpack what it is that you're actually reading. If you don't deconstruct what you're reading, there is so much here that you're going to absorb without thinking about it, and it is destructive and it is dangerous, okay? He says, wives are made to love want to love and expect love but when it comes to husbands he says and also keep in mind he says wives not women he says wives which also is kind of implying what that women are meant to be wives right he's not saying women are made this way he's saying wives are made this way. But wives are what? Wives are women. So if wives are made this way, it means what? It means women are made this way, but it doesn't actually account for the fact that there's gonna be women that are not wives. But then he goes on and he says, husbands are made to be respected, want respect and expect respect. Respect. Okay. Do you see the difference between how he phrases a wife's role and how he phrases a husband's role? Because it makes a huge difference. He says, wives are made to love. Okay. What does it mean to love someone? It means you give love, right? Wives are made to love. He doesn't say wives are made to be loved. He says, wives are made to love. And then he says, want to love he doesn't say want to be loved he says wives are made to love and wives are made to want to love he does say wives expect love so that's you know a little bit of a return but what does he say about men he says husbands are made to be respected want respect and expect respect. Do you see the difference? And remember when he's saying wives are made and husbands are made, once again, who are we talking about? We're saying God made, which implies that this is God's will. So what is he saying? He's saying that it's God's will that wives give love, that that wives want to love and expect love but he says husbands are made to be respected he's literally saying that God made husbands to be respected God made husbands to want respect God made husbands to expect respect Okay, do you understand how very dangerous the implications here are? He's literally saying that women are made to give love and men are made to receive respect. So what he's literally saying is women are made to be givers and men are made by God to be receivers. Does that or does that not sound A little narcissistic and self-serving, especially when you consider this is written by a man. Okay, so starting off in chapter one, he starts chapter one with three different stories. And these stories, which are experiences between him and his wife, are meant to illustrate how his premise of women need love and men need respect, or more accurately as he stated in his introduction women need to give love and men need to be respected which is really what he actually said again I've said this before relationships are relationships are relationships the principles of good relationship are the principles of good relationship they have nothing to do specifically with marriage and they literally have nothing to do with male female okay so let's talk about this he starts off and he um he talks about the the jean jacket disagreement. Okay? So I'm going to read from the book now. He said, "I proposed to Sarah when we were both still in college and she said yes. While still engaged, we got a hint of how husbands and wives can get into arguments over practically nothing. That first Christmas, Sarah made me a jean jacket. I opened the box, held up the jacket and thanked her. You don't like it," she said. I looked at her with great perplexity and answered, "I do too like it." Adamant, she said, "No you don't. You aren't excited." Taken aback, I sternly repeated, I do too like it. She shot back, no you don't. If you liked it, you would be excited and thanking me a lot. In my family, we say, oh my, just what I wanted. There is enthusiasm. Christmas is a huge time and we show it. That was our introduction to how Sarah and Emerson respond to gifts. Sarah will thank people a dozen times when something touches her deeply. Because I did not profusely thank her, She assumed I was being polite, but could hardly wait to drop off the jacket at a Salvation Army collection center. She was sure I did not value what she had done and did not appreciate her. As for me, I felt judged for failing to be and act in a certain way. I felt as if I were unacceptable. The whole jacket scenario took me by complete surprise. During the jean jacket episode, though neither of us clearly discerned it at the time... Sarah was feeling unloved and I was feeling disrespected. Okay, let's talk about what's actually happening here because I have gone through this so many times and it has nothing to do with, with the differences between men and women. It has nothing to do with married couples. This is what is called self-righteousness. This is what is called I am right or my way is right. Um, every single one of us has have grown up in families or communities of some kind or another, you know, there's, they have some kind of rules by which the family operates. Okay. Um, my very first tour in the theater company, I was sent to Canada and I toured with a woman who had been raised in the South and her father, when she was growing up, she had just a very, strict uh fundamentalist disciplinarian father I don't know I don't remember if he was religious or not but he just he was extremely strict he had extremely rigid rules and one of his absolutely inviolate rules was you do not under any circumstances take your shoes off and make yourself comfortable in someone else's home okay if anyone has ever been to Canada, then you know that it is very common in Canada uh, for them to ask you to take your shoes off. I don't understand this. I will never understand this, but I have never seen so many white carpets in my life as when I was in Canada. They all have like white carpets. So it totally makes sense that everybody takes their shoes off. It's just something you do. So he, so here you have this person that was raised by an incredibly rigid Fundamentalist father that said you don't take your shoes off under any circumstances, and then you go to Canada and all the Canadians are like, "Hey, could you take your shoes off?" Um, so this is what we're dealing with here: is we're all raised with certain kind of like familial expectations, okay? And there's another thing going on here, which is that whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, um, our parents are our first gods. Okay, think about it. On some level, you know and recognize that you are dependent on these people. For everything that you have, you recognize they provide for you. And you also recognize that if you choose to defy them, you're basically powerless. So what we learn very early on is how to appease the gods. We recognize we learn very early that we have a better shot of getting what we want if we please the gods. Um if someone tells us all the time that we're very pretty, what happens? we we get a sense of worth and value from being pretty. and what that tends to do is what I notice that my parents, you know my my gods, I notice they get they are very pleased when other people compliment me. So when I, make myself a certain way in order to make other people compliment me it pleases the gods we're not consciously aware of any of this but it's you know it's pavlov's dog it's um we recognize how to create the best situation for ourselves and then we start investing in creating the best situation for ourselves if you get really good grades and if your parents are really happy when you get really good grades what do you do you study harder and harder and harder to make sure that you always get good grades because good grades make your parents very happy if your parents brag about you to other people we work harder and harder and harder because our performance makes the gods happy and then we wonder why uh, so many of us believe in a performance based God. It's largely because of our parents because our parents are our first gods. And so when we think of God, especially when we we talk about God the Father, what we tend to do is we tend to assume that God, the parent is like our parents right they punish us when we do something that displeases them this is how the nature of our relationship works with our parents and whether we know it or not that is what we tend to expect from God is if we displease God God will punish us however God is not our parents and this is one of the many aspects of deconstruction that is so important it's not just a matter of deconstructing everything that we've learned in churches. It's also deconstructing the differences between what God expects from us and what our parents expect from us, okay? So what's happening here with um, Egric's wife, Sarah, is, and I'm this is supposition, but I've encountered it enough to tell you that this is probably what's happening, okay? When Sarah was little, her parents would give her a gift and she would get all excited by the gift, right? And and her excitement would make her parents happy. So what she recognized, what she internalized is, when my parents give me a gift, the more pleasure I show in that gift, the more excited I get about that gift, the happier it makes my parents, right? So what she internalizes is that when someone gives you a gift, the appropriate response is to be very excited about the gift, okay? emerson egrex grew up in a very different home so his parents expectations were probably very different he is probably emulating his father in how he responds to that gift so what we have going on has nothing to do with men and women it has to do with our cultural conditioning it has to do with the family that we grew up in and how our family acted okay has nothing to do with respect It's, it's cultural conditioning. That's all we're dealing with here is cultural conditioning. Okay. So his next, um, story that he tells where he's still trying to like prove his point that this all boils down to women need love and men need respect is he entitles it. You can be right, but wrong at the top of your voice. And he says, sarah and i are very different regarding social interaction sarah is nurturing very interpersonal and loves to talk to people about many things after sarah is with people she is energized i tend to be analytical and process things more or less unemotionally i get energized by studying alone for several hours when i am with people socially i interact cordially but I'm much less relational with Sarah. Okay, what are we talking about here? We're not talking about the differences between men and women. We're talking about the differences between an introvert and an extrovert. Has nothing to do with women need love and men need respect. It's textbook introversion and extroversion. But here we go back again with expectations. He says, One night as we were driving home from a small group Bible study, Sarah expressed some strong feelings that had been building up in her over several weeks. You were boring in our Bible study tonight, she said almost angrily. You intimidate people with your silence, and when you do talk, you sometimes say something insensitive. What you said to the new couple came across poorly. I was taken aback but tried to defend myself. What are you talking about? I was trying to listen to people and understand what they were saying. Sarah's answer went up several more decibels. You need to make people feel more relaxed and comfortable. The decibels rose some more. You need to draw them out. Now Sarah was almost shouting. Don't be so into yourself. Once again, what we're dealing with here is self-righteousness. In other words, I am right or my way of doing things right. This is a very common problem in America. This is actually the root of so many of our Uh, religious and political divides right now which is you know my way is right my way of doing things my viewpoint my outlook I am right there are very 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 few things in life that have an inherent right or wrong there's no moral right or wrong to whether or not you take your shoes off when you walk into someone's house the biblical answer is be a good guest There's no universal right or wrong here, but the bottom line is it's all, it's just, it's about being a good guest. We have all these just ridiculous fights over your way is different than my way, but my way is right. And this has nothing to do with male and female. This has nothing to do with um, love and respect. What this does have to do with is Sarah is not acknowledging that her way is not necessarily or inherently the right way. If you're an extrovert, and you have what you consider to be excellent social skills like you entertain everyone and your partner mate spouse person um they don't socialize the way you socialize okay when you start trying to say my way is the right way and you're doing it wrong that's what's actually happening here it has nothing to do with male and female it has nothing to do with sarah needs love and Emerson needs respect, okay? Um, So then this is his third story. And once again, we're going to talk about what's actually going on here. And it has nothing to do with love or respect, okay? A few more years went by and Sarah's birthday was coming up. She was thinking about how I would respond. Would I even remember? She always remembered birthdays, but birthdays weren't big on my radar screen. She knew she would never forget my birthday because she loved me dearly. She wondered, however, if I would celebrate her birthday. She was thinking, does he hold me in his heart the way I hold him in mine? So what she did was not done in a mean spirit. She was simply trying to discover things about me and men in general. She knew that forgetfulness was a common problem and she was just being curious. As an experiment, she hid all the birthday cards that had arrived before her birthday. No hints of her birthday existed anywhere, and I was going along in my usual fog studying and thinking. On her birthday, I had lunch with a friend. That evening, as Sarah and I had dinner, she softly asked, So, did you and Ray celebrate my birthday today? I hemmed and hawed, but I couldn't explain forgetting Sarah's birthday. My forgetfulness had been unloving, and I could see that she was hurt. But at the same time, I had these strange feelings. Yes, I had been wrong to forget, but I hadn't ignored her birthday intentionally, I felt judged, put down, and rightly so. Okay, let's talk about what's actually happening here. Boys are not raised to remember social events. That is what women do. So the way in which she dealt with it, this is very passive aggressive. She didn't Tell him in advance, hey, my birthday is coming up in two weeks or my birthday is coming up in two months and I'm not going to remind you about it. This is my reminder. It's not that boys are incapable of remembering birthdays and anniversaries. It's that women in our culture do not require or expect men to remember social engagements or keep their own calendar or remember birthdays and anniversaries and important dates all on their very own. So they don't. Okay. Why would they? If we don't expect them to, why are they going to do something that we don't expect them to do? We do it for them, and so we raise them with the expectation that they don't need to do it because we're going to do it for them. So he's he's used these three stories that actually have nothing to do with the ways in which women are made or created differently from men. And he's trying to use them to support his premise that what's really happening here is women need love and men need respect. None of those are true, okay? With the jean jacket incident, he got a, he received a gift and did not respond the way she expected him to respond. And she didn't acknowledge that her expectations were based on what was proper and appropriate for her family. Then we have the... Um, They go to a Bible study and he acts the way an introvert acts and she acts the way an extrovert acts. And then she gets angry at him because he doesn't act the way she thinks that she should act. Okay? That has absolutely nothing to do with the differences between men and women. That has everything to do with the differences between introverts and extroverts and one person expecting the other person to act like them. And then his third example was about her birthday like he forgot her birthday this is a very 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 common thing among couples it has nothing to do with uh she needs love and he needs respect it has everything to do with girls are socialized to be the keepers of calendars I find it very disturbing that he's a therapist that that doesn't seem to understand what's Actually happening here, and this has nothing to do with innate or inherent differences between men and women. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and stop there. Um, next week I'm gonna finish up chapter one because next week I want to talk about the really highly problematic way in which uh this man who is a PhD went about coming to his conclusions it would be one thing if he you know if he was a pastor and 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 he was presenting himself as only taking this information from the bible but he talks about backing it up with scientific research and the way that he does that is is just hugely problematic and so uh i'm going to save that for next week um if you've gotten anything out of this podcast it would be really helpful if you could um like and share if you could go to itunes and uh, subscribe. That would be super, super helpful. I'm still working on a um, Twitter account for the podcast specifically, as well as a, an Instagram that's specifically for the podcast. But this is literally just me. I don't have a team. I don't have other people helping or doing, you know, mixing or sound design. Um, I write a blog. I do this podcast. So I have a lot on my plate. Um, and it it's literally just me so if this is helpful to you at all anything that you can do to to help me kind of get the word out that it's available um i just i continue to believe that there are so many people that are damaged either by these books or by the philosophies that these books represent so anything you can do to help me um get the word out about this podcast would be super hugely appreciated uh i thank you so much for listening i look forward to seeing you next week and um I, I just, I really hope this uh, podcast helps you. Okay, thanks so much. Bye.